Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. My name is Kalia Garrido, and I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Minds. Um, if you don't know us already, Great Data Minds is a collective of passionate data activists, and we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. We do this in two different ways. The first is that we have our services arm at Great Data Minds Innovation Labs. Dot com. Uh, this is where we do our strategic planning, education, and the deployment of critical data projects. And then we also have um, greatdataminds.com, and this is where we create content and we host great events just like the one we're going to do today. So some housekeeping before we get kicked off. Uh, this is a webinar, of course, and everybody knows what that means. Your cameras and microphones are off, but we do welcome conversation. We would love for you to join us um, either in the chat or in the Q&A, and then we'll also reserve a little bit of time at the end of the session for questions if you prefer, um, prefer to wait for that. And so without further ado, I'm gonna just get uh, our esteemed panelists introduced today. Um, our special guest today is Amanda Moriucci. She is the CEO of Appit Ventures, a Colorado-born, female-owned, top Denver app development company. Um, Amanda is also the founder of the successful meetup Denver Women in Tech and continues to be a prominent figure in the startup and entrepreneurial community, um, as well as in the tech community. So thank you for being here, Amanda. We are so excited. Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, and then my partner, of course, always sharing the line with us is Mike Lampa. He's our very own chief analytics officer here at Great Data Minds. And Mike is a true transformation agent. He has been working with enterprises to modernize their analytics programs from the ground up um, for many years. He has got a boatload of experience as an executive analytics practitioner, both as a consultant and as an employee in global 100 companies. And we are very lucky to have him now on our side, on the good side, uh -huh. uh, Mike, <laughs> not the dark side. Um, please do take it away, Mike. Well, thank you, Kalia. Uh, Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Mike? Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for joining us. I'm looking forward to our chat today, my dear friend. So I'm thinking, why don't we just kind of get into it, huh? I uh, love it. I so, love it. So we can use data in a variety of ways. Yeah? Absolutely. Talk to me, Talk to me a little bit. Yeah, so uh, one of... Uh, my favorite right now is uh, monetization of data, but doing it in an ethical way, right? So um, I, I think we were talking the other day, Mike, about kind of this silly example. So we had um, we had an entrepreneur that had an app uh, that would report on bathrooms nearby. So uh, any new moms out there, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you need to find a bathroom, you need to find a bathroom right now. And so that mm -hmm. really cool because you could, you'd pay for access to like where are the closest public restrooms based on where I am right now. And users could report on uh, the cleanliness and the quality and accessibility of this particular bathroom. And so the app was uh, a pretty fun success. Um, the entrepreneur made some good money off of that application. Um, and, and the point I wanted to make with this example is that um, the, the monetization of the data was not personally identifiable information, right? So a lot of us in the data space, we know PII related to HIPAA, but it goes beyond that, right? With Especially with laws starting to evolve over time, GDPR in Europe, 
um, applying some of those similar laws in California. We're starting to see some movement um, in Colorado as well as people uh, start to wake up into the importance of protecting your personal data. But the, this type of data was behavioral, right? And so people are happy to report on what they're noticing and what they're seeing because it's not personalized. And so beyond, beyond just like the quickest way of breaking um, some of these new laws, um, or perhaps more importantly, becoming the most hated brand in the marketplace, mm -hmm. try and monetize personal data, because think about what Facebook has gone through, right? Like mm -hmm. trying to monetize personal data, not behavioral data, and then using that against consumers it's not going to fly in today's marketplace. And so um, thinking through what kinds of data are you monetizing? How are you doing that? And as you're collecting behavioral data from your end users, are you providing a benefit in return? And so that's kind of some of the examples that I'm thinking on with monetization of data. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you got your data, uh, your syndicated data providers out there selling, yeah. selling data. Uh, I'll give you one example, um, a company that sells GPS location data. Um, our phones, as we know, all of us got our GPS on most of the time. This thing is sending all sorts of communication, right, as to where I am. And, and we're talking like billions and billions of data points being generated. Right? And companies are buying this data because they can see by phone, each one of these have an ID, right? Um, where I have been, am I walking by a Starbucks, right? And am I a Tim Hortons brand? And I'm trying to figure out where I should put my Tim Hortons uh, shop. Should I put it next to Starbucks? Or is there more traffic happening somewhere else? And then if you have a loyalty program that has a phone number on it, guess what? I just linked my loyal customer and I'm tracking like Mampa's movement. Kind of spooky. I mean, who would have thought? How do, we ethic, how do we ethically get our arms around this stuff? Well, and I think about ethics, ethics and data as far as how you're using it, let alone how you're monetizing it. I mean, what, what's your core ethos? Are you looking, are you using that data to better serve your customers and solve their problems most efficiently? Or are you simply using that data to make a quick buck and smash your competitors and ruin kind of the community around you? Because um, I think we can see quite clearly the effects of what those types of decisions have done historically. And I think that the, the general consumer is, is done with that. Yeah. You know, to that point, um, um, I found a great uh, prediction piece that Gartner put out. So it's the 2022 and beyond predictions. And a couple of them that came out, I'll call them the yin and yang, right? Not yin and yang, yin and yang, right? I mean, <laughs> um, one of the predictions was around, uh, well, first of all, everything's changing around how data can be collected by us. Cookies are going away. So everybody, digital advertisers, everybody that leverages cookie um, data in order to identify an individual and, and try to get the demographics, all that's going away. So things are gonna change. And what Gartner is predicting that by 2024, 40% of the consumers out there, they're gonna start tricking behavioral data that's being collected on them, right? Um, 
they're going to intentionally devalue the personal data that can be collected um, because they're hyper aware of how their data is being, how they're being turned into a product. And customers are like, no, nope, I'm not going to do that anymore. So that's the yin. And then the yang of it is organizations are, by 2025, Gartner says, organizations are going to start generating synthetic data using AI algorithms so that they don't have to rely on personally identifiable data. Ergo, they can start to be more confident that you're, they're going to be in compliance with the regulations that are coming out. And as far as ethics, the onus is on companies right now. There are, there are bills on the floor, um, but the, right now the, the, the onus is on companies and companies that aren't thinking about the ethical use of the data really need to start thinking about it because they're going to be forced to. Absolutely. And on the ethical use of data today, beyond it just being the right thing to do, it's a sound marketing strategy, right? Because if people start to hear that you're using their data unethically, that's a brand killer like yeah. that, right? Okay. And so why not just start by doing the right thing? Because mm -hmm. what it does is it protects your brand first and foremost, and you're already ahead of the curve by the time some of these regulations start to be implemented, right? So any potential additional revenue or even profitability that you might obtain by being a little shady today, just because the laws haven't, haven't quite hit us yet, Something tells me that you'll end up spending all of that extra revenue or profitability in playing catch up when some of these regulations start hitting, right? So you guys talk a lot about architecting for proper data collection. As we all know, um, refactoring architecture of an application is expensive. And mm. so why not just start by doing the right thing? Because ultimately it's going to be more cost-effective and protect your brand in the long run anyways. So, but again, I think that's where you and I, I think sometimes might get in an echo chamber because mm -hmm. we prefer to do the right thing. So, yeah. so, so uh, yeah, let, let's talk about that a little bit around architecting those apps. Are there some laws to follow? You know? Well, today- App Application architecture laws, I mean, not regulations. Absolutely. Today we have, you know, HIPAA requirements for some of our healthcare or wellness providers, um, but we're starting to see more and more the requirement for um, GDPR type regulations, right? And, you know, on the app side, whether it's web or mobile, it's the smartest clients will architect with privacy and security and protecting PII, because you don't know, even if you build an app here in the States, if you're going to secure audience members um, in other areas that have stricter regulation. So our smartest clients are architecting for the strictest regulation today, not only because it's sound business practice, but because it is kind of the right thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, being smart about how you're architecting for privacy and security and scalability and maintainability. Those have been longstanding best practices uh, in our industry. It's just becoming even more important today. Yeah, because there's laws with teeth behind them. It's, you're exactly. going to pay the cost to the boss, that's for sure, right? 
Absolutely. And, and today, you know, users of app, especially mobile applications, they're sophisticated, right? And they understand what's going on. You know, it's not like it was 15 years ago when the iPhone first came out and everybody was, was a novice, right? Customers are now sophisticated and they understand the power that they have. There are two things that really are driving this uh, kind of shift, attention and data. That's it. Mm -hmm. So these apps are collecting a lot of information, but who, who's getting the value? How do I think I through the this. value proposition there? I love this. So my favorite apps really follow what I say the law of reciprocity, right? So law of reciprocity says in order to get something, so for most of our clients, that would be data, you have to provide something of value. So to your end users, what is that? It's a valuable data or a valuable user experience, right? So a lot of times, listen, if I if I want to buy something, let's just say, um, as an example, I want to buy a reliable electric vehicle, right? Um, because I think they're cool and I want to, I want to see what that's like. I want what I want is proper guidance on the right kind of vehicle to buy. So in order for me to get that kind of information, I have to share with a potential salesperson what matters most to me, my values, my budget, my worries, my hopes, all of these things, right? So you can apply a lot of this to applications as well. So if our clients want data, they have to provide something of value in exchange for that data. At the end of the day, when you're designing for this, it requires empathy and creativity. Mm -hmm. You're not entitled to your customer's data. You have got to give something of value in exchange for their information. That's like data, data democratization at, at its best. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you guys speak a lot about data democratization, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think on your guys' end, you would say data democratization is giving access to data across all silos within your organization, right? Starting from marketing to sales, to delivery, to customer service, ongoing support, warranty, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So each of those silos within your organization, they have a mandate of which they have to execute on, right? So in order to break down silos, you have to share data, relevant data for the customer experience across all of those divisions. But how do you guys do that properly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of reminds me, I got a little side story. I've, I've shared this before, but um, um, I was working with a, um, a broadband um, communication provider. And this is back in the very late 90s, early 2000s, actually, just before dot bomb hit. Um, and they had a failed ERP implementation. It, they implemented the ERP. They didn't understand the business process flows and the process model. So it was, it was a failure. So they brought me in to lay out the, the integrated business process model, model flow, understanding information flows between the functional um, areas within the organization. I had sales in, in this workshop. I had order provisioning and I had HR from a sales compensation standpoint in there. 
Um, I was walking through, we started to understand, okay, so that's the flow from the sales order to order provisioning. And then the uh, order provisioning gentleman stood up and said, you know, I got to let you guys know, ever since you implemented the new CRM system, the orders are coming to me without a sales rep code on them. Now, mind you, my objective, the thing that I measured on at the end of the year, as far as performance, is provisioning those circuits on or before the commit date. I don't have time to go looking around for a sales rep code. So I just code them to the inside house account. The HR woman stood up, looked at him and said, that's why the inside sales compensations are so high and my sales reps are all over me because they're not getting their commission, right? The order provisioning guy said, get the sales guys to use the CRM system the proper way and we won't have this problem. The sales guy was silent, right? Crazy. I love this. I love this story because this happens in every single organization every single day, right? So a lot of times um, I'm a salesperson by trade. That's how I came up in my career, right? So in sales, we are in our lane, right? I care about what I care about as far as it impacts the customer. I care about what I care about as far as how I'm paid and incentivized. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, other surrounding departments aren't as aware of what, how I'm comped, what I'm incentivized on, and what my mandate is from my leadership. And that's fine, right? I mean, not every organization can be as fluid and open as like an AFID or a great data mines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, knowing how data flows from one organization to the next and how mistakes and data entry can have negative downstream effects in terms of caring for your employees, it's a big deal. And as leadership, really, I mean, if you're not caring for your employees, how can you expect to care for your customers? And so knowing what each department, what their mandates are and what they're incentivized to hit and making sure that date the right data is flowing properly so you can support those uh, other silos across your organization. Fix that. And then a lot of your customer service issues will naturally start to resolve because you have a, a cohesive team that's all focused on the same goal and empowered by the right data. So that's hinting to me, if I can minimize friction within Absolutely. my organization... Um, that plays to a better experience for the customer. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And so this is where like we start to get into the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Again, coming back to the ethical use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, something we need to, we need to keep an eye on. Um, Oh, it looks like we have a question. We have a question to see if there's a question. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I see Deborah has her um, hand up and I can uh, click allow to talk if you want to ask a question, Deb. Well, I don't have um, chat working, but I just wanted to say that this is exactly what you just talked about is exactly my whole platform in life, if you will, my whole being of what I'm hoping to accomplish in any capacity, in any position, mm-hmm. because on uh, understanding data, that's been a passion of mine <laughs> probably for before computers were in every household uh, because data was always incorrect. And it, 
always has affected many, yep. many things, processes and people's pay, et cetera. So I just I just wanted to comment on that. That's all. Well, thank you, Deborah. Appreciate I, your feedback. Thank you so much. I love um, that, Deborah. And I, I, you know, I was, I was, uh, when we were um, talking through kind of the concept of this webinar, I shared with Mike, um, I, uh, I read the book Good to Great every year. Um, I don't know why. I just, I think the book's amazing. And a lot of his concepts still hold true today, despite how much we'd like to think commerce has changed. And his, his line that he has that resonates with me the most is the team that sees the truth the most clearly wins, right? And so that's data. And the, the form and the collection methods of data have changed over time, but data is, is essentially how you see the truth. And if you're looking at incorrect or improper data, it's obfuscating the truth and preventing you from serving your customers in your best way. Yeah, so to that regard, Amanda, is, is data static? I mean, is it a static commodity? No. No, no. So it's living and breathing, right? So in order for, I, I think data, there's a fine line between it being a value add and being a burden on your organization, right? And so there, there are so many issues related to that, right? So how are you collecting? First of all, what kind of data are you collecting? How are you collecting that data? Are you being honest and transparent with your end users about how you're, um, collecting, sharing, distributing, showing data, right? Um, I think a lot of the work that you guys do is around how do you store that data? How do you make meaning of that data, right? Mm -hmm. And so on the AppIt side, we help our customers collect the data. Then we immediately have our customers work with the brilliant minds at Great Data Minds Innovation Labs on how to store that data so it's ethical and proper and how to make meaning of that data. And then that's when the human element comes in, take action, right? And so I like these four steps, collect, store, make meaning, take action. Mm -hmm. And if you're stuck as an organization, what are you missing in those four elements? And if you can start to get clear on what you're missing, that's when you're building a strategy around how do you see the truth the best in service of your customer? Exactly, exactly. And again, it goes back to that full understanding of full life cycle, right? To, and if you go through those four key steps, how many app developers don't think that way at all, right? Oh, if, you go, if you go through mm -hmm. those four key steps, you are gonna start to see true realization of monetizing your data to generate value to your customers as well as internal. Absolutely. So one of the things we're seeing with our customers right now, um, we're building um, architecture and apps around content creation and community moderation, right? So all of us have been a part of a community um, where let's just say you join a particular group and you join this particular group for, let's just say, professional development reasons, right? Has anyone ever joined a professional development group and they have learned faster than the rest of the group, right? They've almost outgrown some of that community, some of that content. The smartest 
uh, organizations that we're seeing are actually using data to help identify those members that are growing past the confines of their community early on and helping shepherd them through different cohorts within their community. So that's an example of proper use of data that's ethical, that provides value and is in service of your customer. The other thing that's important to note here though, is that data changes because people change. So if you're providing value to your customer, simply by working with you, that customer will immediately change, mm. right? So if that customer is changing and you hope to retain that customer for the long run, you need to know them intimately. So you can change and improve and level up how you serve them or have a candid internal conversation about how are you parting ways with this customer that doesn't damage your brand? Right. And the only way you can do that is by respecting the living, breathing nature of data and ethically leveraging the power of that information to ever improve how you serve your customer. You know, and as I think about machine learning, we're trying to predict behaviors. We're trying to predict outcomes, right? As we get better and better at predicting behaviors, to your point, those behaviors are going to change. And we have to sense that change because we may have to predict new things. It's a Absolutely. continuous monitor. So what does the UI have to do with data collection? Oh, gosh, I love this question. So I'm sure everyone on this call remembers that story of when Steve Jobs was first designing the very first iPhone. His kids are now uh, young adults, which makes me feel so old. But at the time when he was building his first prototypes, he would hand his children these prototypes and watch how they behaved with the hardware. And the reason why he did this is he wanted the hardware to be so intuitive to use that a child could use it. So any of the parents on this call today are like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that's like because my two-year-old can run my iPhone better than I can, right? So the reason why he did that is because he understood the power of an intuitive user experience. And so if, if you are, I, I think another thing too, for some executive leadership members that might be on the team, all of us love our dashboards, right? Like- mm -hmm. I think of the biggest stress for an executive is having a question and not knowing the answer. And so having dashboards that are that elegantly uh, show and demonstrate and visualize data, the reason why that's so important is you have an executive who needs to make consequential decisions, not only with accurate data, but it has to be easy and intuitive to consume. Because if you have a barrier up in your mind, like if I have to spend too much time learning how to use the application just so I can consume the data, it slows down my decision-making. It slows down the call to action that I need to take. And so an intuitive user experience removes that barrier so I can not only consume data, get value, and provide data, give value. Mm -hmm. Or on the executive dashboard side, if I have an intuitive, beautiful, nice to look at type of a dashboard that's delivering complex variables that are interrelated, 
I can make critical decisions in a shorter period of time that move my organization forward. So in my opinion, obviously, this is this is what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Intuitive UI UX design is critical because you can have the most in, invaluable insights. You can have the most robust data sets. You can provide incredible data that empowers really critical decisions. But if nobody knows how to use it, you're toast on day one. Yeah, it's got to be actionable. It has to uh, be actionable. Because uh, not, not only... Do I want to make a decision timely? And boy, timely is coming down to nanoseconds these days, it seems. Um, I need to have that level of confidence. This is a critical decision I'm making here. You know, I'm about to dump tens of thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands of dollars into application engineering. Am I doing, am I going to spend it right to get the right outcome? Yeah. Yep. And too, many then- times, too many times I see these dashboards, they're beautiful. They display all sorts of really cool looking stuff. But I said, what should I do with this? It's got to be actionable. Yeah, absolutely actionable. And thinking about too, like what are what are the cultural paradigms of the people that you're meeting, right? So Americans were super easy. You go from top to bottom, left to right. So your most important, most actionable data needs to hold that top left corner. Because that's where we naturally go all the time with our eyes, right? Yeah. So thinking about how different cultures expect to absorb data as they first enter it. Mm. So being aware of that. Yeah. And I think too, Mike, we were talking about another example of arming um, employees in the field with the right kind of data. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my favorite clients, uh, they're in the field as well. They've um they manufacture the trailers. Like if you're ever going down the highway and you see trailers that have like 15 cars on them. So they tra- they're they tra- the car transport trailers and they needed to be able to get data on uh, maintenance or service intervals for these trailers to keep them running at peak efficiency. And so that's a perfect example, being aware of who is this user type? How do they like to absorb data, right? Um, even something as simple as when we've developed UI for um, industrial mining or industrial energy companies, they need to have bigger buttons on their um, on their phone screens. Why? Because they're wearing gloves. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you need and, to be able and they're to- bouncing around and yeah. <laughs> you. You need to be able to absorb information and take action on that in the field and thinking through, again, putting yourself in your end user's shoes so you can get the desired outcome, leveraging empathy, leveraging creativity to build the UI to house the most valuable data to get the most valuable outcome in the mm-hmm. brief period of time. You know, got a quick question here that came in from the, the audience. Um, data is power. In many organizations where there's data silos that dominate, I would probably say in most organizations where data is kind of siloed, how do you influence that sharing of data? How do you influence that understanding of the full life cycle and use of data uh, when it's not a senior leadership elite? When What was that last part when it's not... So, yeah, so so how do I influence the sharing of data when senior leadership doesn't believe 
and providing access to data across the functional areas in the functional silos. So my first question would be, why does senior leadership not believe in that, right? Is it a compliance issue? Is it an ethical issue? Because if it's that, then I would start to narrow down on what are the specific data elements that you want to be sharing across organization and why. So mm -hmm. here's a very high level, very simple example. Um, let's pretend in an organization that salespeople are compensated um, on upsells and they're compensated on upsells at a different rate than they're compensated on like the original new sale. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's that's a, a valuable piece of data that would apply to the example that you had shared, right? Where HR, the HR leader is like, oh my gosh, you guys aren't entering in this data properly. Okay, so if on follow-on sales, salespeople are compensated a higher percentage amount, that stands to reason that that salesperson is going to care more about serving an existing customer than going out and finding a new customer. That would be a valuable insight, but you don't need to know specifically that a salesperson might be comp 10% on follow-on sales and 7% on new sales. And so there's a difference between sharing data across the board and being intentional about what elements you're sharing and for what purpose. Mm -hmm. And so taking the, uh, the negative side, it could just be that senior leadership isn't aligned, right? They're uh, almost at war with each other. And I would say that's likely not a battle that you're going to solve. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, especially in some of these large organizations. That's a big, big shift to try to turn around. Um, it could be potentially educating the leadership on the value to be generated as a result of being able to understand data and its influence on decision-making across the whole business functional life cycle. Exactly. With examples, you know, kind of come up with examples. Um, uh, it, um, because there is a value prop there, uh, even if it's just the cost avoidance of all the technical debt that you have to go back and do a bunch of re-engineering because you didn't think about the full life cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I also think, too, if any of my teammates came to me and asked for something huge all at once, being vulnerable here for a moment, I would I would immediately get overwhelmed, Right. Um, cause I would start thinking about the cost and the time. And of course I want to support my teammates, but if I come, if my team comes to me with something really big without really a plan or a reasoning why I immediately get overwhelmed. And the minute you have an executive leader that's overwhelmed, you're not getting movement on anything mm -hmm. right? versus if you, um, take kind of the boil the frog approach, Hey boss can we share this data element with this team? Because I believe that it will solve a point of friction in how we're serving our customer. And here's why. Um, if you can give me this data point, it increases my efficiency and my role by X percent. And I want to see how it goes. That's mm -hmm. a much different conversation. And it's little bits of data sharing or improvement over time. That's a lot less... Uh, insurmountable in the mind of the executive leader. Right, right. And then you could even pile on top of that. If I'm reducing friction with my customers, I bet my MPS scores, my net promoter scores are reflecting that. 
Absolutely. And this is what we talk about within Abbott. This is, this is applies to any organization. This isn't just, you know, designing a proper UI around the right kind of data. Listen, if you are experiencing friction in how you conduct your role, your customers will notice Mm -hmm. whether you share with them or not. Right. So it's kind of like, um, uh, if you drink coffee and you don't chew gum after you got coffee breath, whether you realize it or not, (laughs) same thing. If you are fulfilled in your role and you're efficient and you're doing well, your customers notice whether you don't, if you have friction in your role, if you have stress in your role, that will come out whether you want it to or not. And your customers will notice over time. Yeah. I agree with that so much. So if I was to try to sum this up, um, know your requirements, true requirements. It's not just UI, UX, it's not just data elements for the point of consumption, but it is, it's understanding that data life cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I, would, yeah. I would say our most successful clients have a clear business goal in mind. If I do this, then I will accomplish this, mm-hmm. right? And so some of our favorite projects are, let's build you something that increases efficiency. Why? Because if you can increase efficiency, you care for your customer better, faster, stronger. You feel better, right? You get time back in your day. You get to leave even 15 minutes earlier so you can spend time with your family. That's the kind of, stuff that we're talking about. It's not just, hey, can I share data from sales to marketing so I can increase, you know, just my overall like MQLs that I'm delivering to the organization? Fine. But what's what's beyond that? Mm-hmm. Right? That's a little bit more juicy. Hey, if I can share more details on why this customer or this lead wasn't a fit for our organization, then marketing is better empowered to spend more dollars in the right places to get the customers that we can actually serve. And if I'm doing well and marketing's doing well and we're having a good time, that raises the energy across the organization and things start to shift before you even realize that. That's a nice nurture of culture shift, right? Exactly. It's using the best of data and technology to actually improve the lives of your employees and your customers. I love that. I love your whole story. So when we first started talking about the the mashup of analytics and app development, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect. Because even today, I still see large-scale ERPs and CRMs and service um, now type applications being the vendors go through these requirement sessions, but it's all, it's never full life cycle. Uh, and especially now, even more importantly, nobody ever thought about how am I going to use this data for analytics? It's like, well, what are you talking about? This is a CRM, <laughs> right? Or what are you talking about? I'm customer service, right? It's just, it's just incredible. So what would your final thoughts or takeaways that you'd like to give the folks on the call? Um, so it's football season, right? 
Um, yes, it is. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was remarking to my husband uh, a few weeks ago, it's remarkable to see how much players have evolved and changed even in just the past five years, right? And I, you know, we all want to say, well, it's just, you know, younger kids or better technology or better personal trainers and things like that. The thing I love about football season is you get to see teams improve over the year or over their season. Why do they do that? Because they watch teams, right? And so everybody on the entire team, I don't care what your position is. I don't care what your role is. You watch tape as a team. That's the equivalent of looking at your data and your analytics. Mm -hmm. Looking back at how you've performed as a team and making a decision as a group on what you're going to do differently to try and get a better outcome next time. And really, the more I think about it, our jobs can kind of be treated like a game a little bit, right? Pushing ourselves to be just 1% better each day in service of our customers. And the cool thing is about that is the improvement and the learning itself makes you a better person overall. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love to say it's not just tech and it's not just data. Think of looking at your data and your analytics as watching tape and, and galvanizing your team, how to be just 1% better and serve your customers in a way that they never expected and just see what happens just for the fun of it. And I think that's kind of how I'm thinking about it these days, but it's probably just because my Sunday night, Monday night, and Thursday night are gripped by. <laughs> I, I rearrange my week around those two nights. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful story, Amanda. Um, incredible uh, insights. Uh, I think that have been shared here. So thank you so much for that. And, and your sharing and caring nature just exudes. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, friends. It was great to see you guys. And um, I'd love to hear from any of the attendees if you guys have any follow-up questions. But um, yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank yeah, you. this has been great. Thank you so much, Amanda. And if anybody does have any questions, they can certainly use the chat or the question bar right now, but if nothing um, comes in, because I feel like people did a good job of asking questions in line, um, if there's any uh, additional conversation that we want to get into, please feel free to reach out to us at info at greatdataminds.com. We've recently announced our official partnership with App Adventures um, as our software development um, partner. So we are happy to be able to make any introductions that might be needed to Amanda or any of the people on her stellar team. Um, so we thank everybody so much for joining us today and we wish you all uh, a great day and a great football season. Yeah, and happy holidays. <laughs> and happy holidays, now, right? I yeah. know, right? Getting there. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.